0: So as I said last week, um, I don't think that we could cover Abu Bakr in a single class, and I realized last week that it wouldn't do justice to cover him even in two. And so we're going to actually break up Abu Bakr's life عنه, into three. But three again as they re- as they relate to this concept of the first. As they relate to this concept of Al-Awa'il, those that precede everyone in good. Now if you remember the first class that we did where we set out those categories of people in the firsts, You know, what would make someone a first, right? Abu Bakr marks all of those different boxes عنه, Right, he's the ultimate trendsetter, he's the ultimate stranger, he's the ultimate forerunner. Abu Bakr عنه, has no competition in basically anything that he does. And the best description of him is the description of Ali ibn Abi Talib Ali said about Abu Bakr رضي الله عنه, كان Bakr سباقا لكل خير. He said that Abu Bakr was the first to every good. And so what we're going to do is, this week we're going to talk about Abu Bakr elevated in his pursuit of good, elevated in his uh, unbeatable in his pursuit of good, his own inspiration, the standards that he sets, meaning what Abu Bakr teaches us about goal setting, what Abu Bakr teaches us about having an elevated standard for yourself. Next week we're going to talk about Inshallah ta'ala, and we'll conclude with, and by the way my flight back to Dallas lands an hour and 15 minutes before Isha next week, so hopefully we'll have class. I'm intending on it, inshallah. Um, But if it gets delayed, then we'll send out a notification on the app. But next week we'll talk about Abu Bakr radiAllahu ta'ala anhu and the status that he had with the Prophet, meaning why Abu Bakr is irreplaceable. So, if you want to think of it this way, today we'll talk about an elevated standard. Next week we'll talk about an elevated status. What makes him so irreplaceable in the sight of the Prophet ﷺ and why his rank as the ultimate first is so unquestioned, why it is so solidified in our thought. <clears throat> so Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, his nickname is As-Sadiq, the truthful one. And there's a story behind that title of As-Sadiq, the truthful one. As we said, he resembles Ibrahim Alayhi salam, the Prophet Abraham, in a beautiful way. In his story of the interaction with the idols, in his commitment, he resembles Ibrahim Alayhi salam. But what makes him a Siddiq, the Siddiq of this Ummah, the truthful one of this Ummah? So first and foremost, Allah says in the Quran, mu'minina rijalun ma' That there are people from amongst the believers, men and women from amongst the believers that are truthful to the covenant that they set with their Lord. Some of them have a chance to fulfill those promises right away, meaning some of them are tested in their commitment to the truth right away, and some of them are postponed. But they don't lose anything in regards to their resolve. Their resolve never changes. What is that referring to? Particularly when we're talking about the firsts. Okay, we're talking about these people. All right. Allah says, amanna la Do people think that they simply say, "We believe," and they're not going to be tested? Right. When a person commits themselves to belief, often that's when a group of tests will come to test the resolve, the resilience they have with that belief. Now some people, in a state of heightened enthusiasm, in their commitment, you know, they recognize the truth, they have a moment where they express this desire to do something with that truth. They express this desire to make sacrifices, to struggle, they make promises to Allah. So you have a heightened emotion, think about Ramadan. Ramadan came, how many promises did you make in Ramadan? Even more than that, Hajj, which is Ramadan on steroids, right? You're, you know, in terms of the, the promises that you're likely to make to God that I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, and then what happens? When the enthusiasm wears off, so does that commitment. The promise is ultimately broken because the enthusiasm wore off. A sadiq is someone who recognizes the truth, who commits themselves to the truth, and who never wanes in regards to the truth. Okay, so the three things. Number one, it refers to the recognition of the truth, the ability to recognize truth. And there's a direct connection between our thought, our intellect, and the purity of our hearts. When the heart is soiled, even if you're a smart person, the ability to recognize clarity is lost as well. When the heart is pure, then your ability to recognize also becomes pure. Your intellect is pure. Your ability to grasp truth becomes pure. So, The heart and mind of Abu Bakr were completely in sync and devoted only to that truth. Okay, so they have a recognition of the truth. That's the first one. They recognize truth. That's a Siddiq. Number two, they commit themselves to that truth. Number three, they don't wane, meaning their resolve remains in regards to that truth. Okay, so those are three qualities of the Siddiq. And there's something very interesting about this category of people, may Allah make us amongst them, those people of truth, Allahumma amin, because this is what I really want to focus on, what makes Abu Bakr the Siddiq, okay, in this particular class. There's something about them that's very interesting, which is that they are a category between the prophets and the martyrs. The prophets are the highest category of people. The shuhada, the martyrs, typically get recognized as the second highest category but the siddiqun are actually higher than the martyrs how does that work first and foremost <clears throat> what's the proof of it obviously within the uh, quran allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the anbiya and the uh, and, and the siddiqun and the shuhada right so some will take the categories the, the way that allah mentions categories that allah mentions the truthful people or people of truth between the prophets and the martyrs okay there's also the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, where the Prophet was with Abu Bakr, Umar, and Uthman, and they were on Mount Uhud. And Uhud shook. And the Prophet وسلم, kneeled down and he tapped Uhud, and he said, ya Uhud. Be firm, O Uhud. Speaking to the mountain. Be firm, O Uhud. You have upon you a Prophet, a Siddiq, a person of truth, a man of truth, and Abu Bakr, and two martyrs, Shahidan or Shahidain. Two martyrs, being Umar and Uthman. So the Prophet basically told Umar and Uthman that day that you're going to be martyred, right? Later on in life, which is exactly what would come to pass. Abu Bakr was the only one of the Khulafah uh, who was not who, who was not martyred, okay? Who was not actually killed. Alright? You have upon you a prophet, a Siddiq, and two martyrs. Okay, a prophet, a Siddiq wa shahidain. The scholars talk about this in the following way. Number one, are we judged by actions or by intentions? It should be the easiest question of all time. إنما, the first hadith of Arba'ina the first hadith of most, most collections, innama amalu Actions are but by intentions. You were gonna answer intentions, right? Yeah, actions are but by intentions, okay? Intentions are what we're judged by. So the scholars say that the Siddiq already achieves the reward of the Shaheed and everything else because the Siddiq, if the situation presented itself where they would have to put their life on the line for the truth, they would not hesitate because that's already their quality. So they have Shahada encompassed in their reward, martyrdom encompassed in their reward, and all the other stuff that they do with their Sidq. Okay, so what they say is that the Siddiq always, always has the intention anyway for any type of price to pay with the truth. Whereas the Shaheed, you know, a a martyr, at the very least is Siddiq in the moment of their martyrdom. Right, they're truthful in the moment of being killed or being martyred for for that truth. Right, but the Siddiq has that attitude encompassing their entire life. Now can a person be both Siddiq and Shaheed? Yes. Okay, may Allah subhanahu wa taala make us amongst them, those that encompass all these good qualities, right? And of course Shahada, the Prophet said a person could ask Allah for the reward of, of Shahada and they could die sleeping in their bed and Allah would give it to them. So it's back to the intentions, right? So Siddiq is someone who is truthful all around everything about their lives, demonstrates a commitment to the truth. So the very first way to know a Siddiq is they're truthful in their speech. Okay, they're truthful in their speech. Alright, you can't lie with your tongue and then hope to be a Siddiq. Alright, they're truthful in their speech. And then after being truthful with their speech, they are truthful in their actions as well. The way that Imam Al-Ghazali, Rahimahullah, describes that, he says that the Siddiq as-sidq fi qawl to be truthful with speech. And, and if you don't understand me when I say this, or if you need me to repeat this later on, I will, but I want to get into the lesson. He said, someone who is sadiq fi qawlihi, who is truthful with their speech, there is no discrepancy between what they say and what is reality. Meaning, when they describe things, they describe things truthfully. Their tongue speaks to reality. Right? A lie is to misrepresent. Okay? So, as-sidq fi qawl is when speech and reality are in sync. And then Al-Ghazai Allah, says something very beautiful. He says, Sidq fil Amal To be truthful in action means that there's consistency between your words and your deeds. What you say is how you act. What you profess is what guides your actions and your deeds. Okay, so there's a Sidq fil and then a greater, uh, after being truthful of speech, the next commitment which is to be truthful In regards to your actions as well, to your commitments as well. So, where does Abu Bakr get this from? Now, obviously, we talked about how when the Prophet came to Abu Bakr in the very beginning, Abu Bakr said, I believe you, went and built a community around him. Right? So, Abu Bakr's quality of recognition of the truth was there. Okay? But where does the actual, when did the Prophet call him Siddiq? And who actually was the first to call him a Siddiq? There's a very beautiful narration from Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu because it surrounds the example or it surrounds the incident of Al Isra' wal Mi'raj. When the Prophet took the night journey, when Allah took him from Mecca to Jerusalem, when he led the Prophets in prayer, and Allah showed him what he showed him of the heavens and beyond. Right? So the night journey of the Prophet, what's known as Al Isra' wal Mi'raj. When the Prophet was with Jibreel Alayhi salam. This is in the narration of Abu Hurayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, قُلْتُ لِجِبْرِيلِ I said to Jibreel Alayhi Salaam, as we were on our way back from the journey, قُلْتُ لِجِبْرِيلِ إِنَّ قَوْمِي لَا يُصَدِّقُونَنِي My people will not believe me. My people will not believe me. He says, فَقَالَ لِجِبْرِيلِ Jibreel said to me, يَصْدُقُكَ Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr will believe you. And he is a Siddiq. And he is the truthful one. <laughs> SubhanAllah like Jibreel alayhi salam expressing that confidence, it doesn't matter. Yeah, people are gonna make fun of you, people are not gonna believe you, but the one who always believes you will. Abu Bakr will believe you, and Abu Bakr will dedicate himself to you. Yasdukukh. Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr radiAllahu ta'ala anhu will believe in you wa huwa siddiq and he is the truthful one. So what happens? The Prophet وسلم, gets back from the night of Al-Isra miraj he tells, this is still Meccan era, this is not Madani yet, he hasn't moved to Medina yet, he's still in the era of being harassed and humiliated and persecuted. And so you don't want to do anything to perpetuate that, right? The Prophet وسلم, says to his people uh, that last night Allah took me from Mecca to Jerusalem and he showed me of the heavens what he showed me and brought me back in one night. Abu Jahl said, wait, what? Abu Jahl said, would you say that if I go call everybody else? Prophet Sallallahu said, yes. Abu Jahl goes and gathers all the people. He says, come look at this fool. Listen to him. Say what you just said to me. The Prophet repeats it. They roll out in laughter. They, you know, they, they start to mock the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They point at him. They, 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 jeer at him, and they can't wait to spread the news. Like we told you, he was crazy, right? So who do they go to first? Abu Bakr, because Abu Bakr is a highly intelligent man, right? They want to, and, and the idea here is to destabilize or to, or to put some doubts in some of the followers of the Prophet Sallallahu to start to at least fracture that community a bit, right? It's a small community, they've they've been beaten, they've been subjected to torture. Let's go to Abu Bakr and see if Abu Bakr is going to budge. So before the Prophet ﷺ got to Abu Bakr to tell him what happened, who does Abu Bakr hear from first? He hears from these people. They go to Abu Bakr as a delegation. They say, have you heard what your companion is claiming? He said, no, what? They said he's claiming that Allah took him in one night from Mecca to Majd al-Aqsa to Jerusalem and back. Abu Bakr رضي الله said, أَوَقَالَ ذَلِكُ Did he say that? They said yes. Now they're thinking that the next lesson, the next thing, at least Abu Bakr will go, well, let me, let me go talk to him. Or no, he probably didn't say that. You're, you're exaggerating. You're making things up. They're thinking they're going to get some sort of reaction from Abu Bakr, especially since the first thing he said was, أَوَقَالَ ذَلِكُ Did he say that? Like, did he really say that? Not, are you serious? No. Did he say that? أَوَقَالَ ذَلِكُ قَالُوا نَعْمُ They said yes. فَق إن كان قاله if that's what he said, he's telling the truth. <laughs> if that's what he said, i believe him. he's telling the truth. subhanallah so he he's so eloquent. it's just such a perfect answer because number one you're you're liars. i can't take you seriously, okay? or i can't i can't confirm. you might be exaggerating. you might be adding something to this. you might be embellishing this or making something up. so if he did say that. As you're saying it, then he is telling the truth. A full expression of confidence in the Prophet ﷺ that he is telling the truth. And you might not be telling the truth. Which is, of course, the methodology of hadith. If he said it, it's true. <laughs> okay? If he said it, um la فَقَدْ sadaq. If he said that, then he is telling the truth. And they told Abu Bakr, Are you serious? Like really? You know, even this. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said, Listen, I believe him. I believe him with something far greater than that. I believe him when he says that he is receiving revelations from the heavens. So, what would make this so difficult for me to believe? Right? If I believe him when he says he is a prophet of Allah, then what would make this so difficult to believe? And so that's when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam actually started to call him a siddiq according to some of the narrations. There's the hadith in a Dar that Abu Yahya says that, I cannot tell you how many times, kam sami'tu aliyyan, yaqul, how many times? I heard Ali radiallahu anhu saying, wa yaqul al inna allaha azzawajal samma aba bakr ala lisani nabihi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam as that Allah named Abu Bakr on the tongue of his prophet, the truthful one. That this was a name, this title, this quality that Allah gave to Abu Bakr was given to him divinely on the tongue of the prophet So if there are categories of an Anbiya and a Siddiqoon and a Shuhada, the prophets and then the truthful ones and the martyrs, Abu Bakr is the clear number one in that category. Right? He leads the pack in that category. So it's recognition of the truth. That's the first thing. And then that commitment to the truth, right? This wasn't just Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu saying, yeah, I believe him. Abu Bakr had such confidence in everything that the Prophet ﷺ said. And so there was another incident. Also, you're still in Mecca. It's not like the Prophet's powerful at this point, and the Prophet Sallallahu has shown that he's gonna be victorious, so there's some, you know, there's some benefit to getting in, in with him, right, for some sort of worldly promise. This is all still in Meccan time under persecution. Allah reveals Surat Rum, okay, the chapter of Rome, that الرُّوم فِي الْأَرْضِ بَعْدِ that the Romans have been defeated in, at, in the lowest point on earth, and after their defeat, they shall now be victorious. <clears throat> <clears throat> Allah will make them victorious between three and nine years Fi What was this referring to? The Romans were Christians, the Persians were Zoroastrians. The Muslims identified with the Christians, Quraysh identified with the Zoroastrians. The Persians, the Persian Empire at the time, was defeating the Roman Empire right and left. At this point, when this was revealed, It seemed like the crushing end, the crushing blow that the Persians were about to ruin or wipe out the Roman Empire once and for all, that they had no chance of ever coming back from this. And that's when Allah reveals that yes, the Romans have been defeated, but they're going to come back and win between three and nine years. This, according to some of the scholars, was an even harder claim than al isra al-Mi'raj because they could see tangibly that the Romans were done why stake your entire mission on this prediction? Right, so if the Prophet is making this all up, he's really putting the entire message at stake here by making such a prediction. And it came in response to the polytheists of Mecca saying to the Muslims that just as your brothers have been defeated by our brothers, we too will defeat you. So when this was revealed, Abu Bakr was so happy, he he went to a group of the mushrikeen, he went to a group of the polytheists, and he said that, don't be too happy because in just a few years, the Romans will defeat the Persians. And they said, what? And Abu Bakr said, yeah, Allah revealed to the Prophet that the Romans are going to beat the Persians. Ubay ibn Khalaf says, you want to bet? Abu Bakr said, sure. He said, how much? He said, 10 camels. All right. Abu Bakr said, you've got a deal. Now, pause. Is betting halal? Betting is not halal. This is still before the prohibition of gambling. That's number one, all right. which is in Medina. Number two, is it really a gamble if it's divine revelation? No. Number three, can you claim divine revelation and get into a bet? I'm concerned by your answer. All right? Don't go into a sports bet and say that I saw last night that the Cowboys would make it to the playoffs. You're going to lose a lot of money. Alright? Don't do it to yourself, okay? If you saw a star in your dream and you say, I, I, it was wahi, it was divine revelation. Okay? But this is clear divine revelation. Clear divine revelation, right? There's no ifs, there's no risk here. It's a very unique situation. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu showing his confidence in the Prophet SallAllahu says, fine, ten camels. Now, when Abu Bakr talked to the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi three years passes by. Remember, Allah gave a window. Three to nine years. Right, Three years passes, and the Persians have crushed the Romans even further. They're more isolated. They're in their small little uh, towns at this point. They look like they're really done now. So it's looking even worse. So Obey ibn Khalaf mocks Abu Bakr. He says, how's that bet looking? Abu Bakr said, great. You want to increase it? He said, yeah, sure. He said, how much? He said, 100 camels. Deal. 100 camels is an entire fortune. That's everything. Right? that's everything. Abu Bakr does not even own a full 100 camels, alright? But that's, you know what, I have full confidence and faith that the Prophet Sallallahu is going to, that, that Allah will give victory the way that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala said that he would give victory. So when they were making hijrah, when they're migrating, alright? The bet is still on, they're seven years in. Seven years in and the Persians are still defeating the Romans. And Ubay ibn Khalaf, he doesn't care if Abu Bakr is making Hijrah, but he says to Abu Bakr, hey wait a minute, you can't leave and forget our bet. So I want a guarantee that our that my 100 camels will be given to me. Alright, so who did they agree upon? They agreed upon Abu Bakr's son, Abdurrahman, who was not a Muslim, yet. Okay, and would stay in Mecca, that if something happens, if you don't see me again, the 100 camels, he'll take care of it. It's on the family now, this bet is on the family. Okay, so Ubay ibn Khalaf was pleased with that. So guess what happens? They make hijrah, they migrate, and the year of Badr, the year of the Battle of Badr, which is the next year, the Romans defeat the Persians after eight years suddenly, right, come back and defeat the Persians. The Muslims defeat Quraysh in Badr the same year. So it was a double meaning, right, that Allah would give victory, you know. Uh, uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, The day that the believers would be pleased with the victory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah would give victory to whom He wills. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all powerful and all merciful. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave that victory to the believers themselves here. And that was a double meaning. Not just that the Romans would beat the Persians, but that the Muslims would also overcome in the battle of Badr. So when did Abu Bakr get his 100 camels now? Okay. Ubay ibn Khalaf was the man who would spit at the face of the Prophet ﷺ and who swore to the Prophet ﷺ, I will kill you. And the Prophet ﷺ responded and said rather I will kill you. Okay. Ubay ibn Khalaf is the only man that was ever killed at the hand of the Prophet ﷺ. When? The Battle of Uhud, the Prophet ﷺ did not use to kill people. The Prophet ﷺ was on, he, at that point he was attacked, he could barely move, he was being carried. The Prophet ﷺ saw Ubay charging at him and he picked up a spear and he threw it from far away and it just nicked Ubay on the side of his throat. It didn't hit him center, just nicked him. And Ubay said, Qatalani Muhammad, Qatalani Muhammad, Muhammad killed me, Muhammad killed me. And they told him, they said, what are you talking about? It's just a small, it's not even a big deal. But subhanAllah from that small wound on the side of his neck, he passed away and the Prophet said, the worst person is a person who's killed by the hand of his prophet. Allah sends his prophets to guide people and a person is killed at the hands of his prophet. And it was then that the share of a hundred camels was taken from the inheritance of Ubay ibn Khalaf, given to Abu Bakr, Abu Bakr radiAllahu ta'ala anhu, gave it all to charity. So he did not benefit from even one part of that, uh, what was left behind from Ubay ibn Khalaf. And that was again Abu Bakr's full belief in what the Prophet Sallallahu brought, always, always committed to it and has absolutely no hesitation, so there's no taraddud, there's no hesitation in following that truth with the Prophet There's also the sudq, that recognition of the truth that made Abu Bakr such a visionary. His vision always lined up with the vision of the Prophet The Prophet is the most truthful person, right? His vision always lined up with the vision of the Prophet When no one else could see things. The way that the Prophet could see them, Abu Bakr always saw them exactly the same way. So he was the first person okay, where the Prophet had to consult someone, he's the first person to be consulted, is Abu Bakr All right? Every single time he consults him, he finds that there's an agreement with their opinion. And sometimes it's very difficult scenarios and difficult situations. Like in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, when the Prophet ﷺ signed the treaty, a peace treaty, and the Muslims did not want to sign a peace treaty with their oppressors. He said we've suffered enough humiliation, enough of this. Why sign this treaty? And especially the things they weren't allowing him to write, Muhammad Rasulullah, Muhammad the Messenger of Allah, there's no Bismillah Rahman Rahim. This is you know, this is humiliation. You can't write your terms. These terms are unfair, imbalanced against the Muslims. They didn't want it. And that's when Umar bin Khattab, عنه, slipped. And Umar uh, you know, said, to the, said to the other companions, aren't we on the truth? Aren't we on the truth? Aren't they upon falsehood? And they would say yes. So he was riling up companions. They didn't want to stop. They didn't want to turn back. And Abu Bakr was the only one who saw things exactly the way the Prophet saw things, which was that Islam would thrive in peace. That it, let's stop war if we clear the way, if we are able to preach openly, then Islam will thrive in peace. The Prophet ﷺ did not want it that way. And Abu Bakr anhu says, no one saw things the way the Prophet ﷺ saw them that day except for me. And Abu Bakr talked about how things came back after, after years, right? How he saw even the negotiators on the side of the Mushrikeen, Suhaid ibn Amr. Suhaid ibn Amr who was filthy, harsh with the Prophet ﷺ, who was negotiating on their side, and now he's in Hajj. Trying to collect the hair of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is shaving his head. Urwa bin Mas'ud is 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 now on the side of the Muslim. So he's a see Abu Bakr says, I saw the flip, but no one saw the vision of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam except for me that day. Only the Abu Bakr had the same vision as the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that day. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, and I don't want to go too far down this, but but that's part of being Siddiq, right? Is that the truth was, was clear to him, he was at peace with it all the time and he had this clarity of truth as well. Which is why even when the Prophet died, no one loved him like Abu Bakr loved him. But when the Prophet died and they're in the masjid and people are debilitated, they're, they're losing it, right? They're, they're, they're broken, who was hurting more than Abu Bakr? But Abu Bakr had such clarity. Right? What would the Prophet Sallallahu have wanted? He wants his mission to continue. He wants his message to continue. He wants the creed that he was willing to die for to not be compromised in his death. So when Umar radiallahu anhu stands up emotionally and says, whoever says Muhammad is dead, then I'm gonna kill him. And he, you know, you're a hypocrite. And it's just like when Moses went to his Lord for 40 days, he's gonna come back. Umar radiallahu anhu was emotional. Very, very emotional over the death of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi and Abu Bakr radiAllahu stood up and he told Umar stop, sit down. Umar radiAllahu anhu would not stop. So Abu Bakr radiAllahu anhu stood up in the masjid and just started to speak and people naturally listened to Abu Bakr even though his voice was extremely soft. They naturally gathered around Abu Bakr and that's when he said مَن كَانَ يَعْبُدُ مُحَمَّدًا فَإِنَّ مُحَمَّدًا قَدْمَاتٍ Whoever used to worship Muhammad صلى الله عليه then Muhammad is dead. Whoever used to worship Allah, then Allah is ever living, never dies eternal. Clarity, right? No one is hurt more than Abu Bakr right now. But Abu Bakr is driven by the truth. As much as he loves the Prophet he's connected to the mission and the message of the Prophet And that's what the Prophet would have wanted of him, right? To to keep steer people back on that message. And when he recited the ayah in the Quran, that Muhammad is but a messenger, if he dies or if he is killed, will you turn back on your heels? Umar said I collapsed. It was like I never heard that I never heard that verse before. It's like I'd never heard it was like my first time hearing that ayah of the Quran before. Because they just never considered the possibility of the Prophet's death. So that's Abu Bakr anhu's vision, in accordance with the vision of the Prophet and that's what makes him so special in his Khilafah as well, which we're not going to be able to get into in this particular series because we're talking about the beginnings here, right? But in his Khilafah, no one could guide the Ummah more upon what the Prophet Sallallahu kept it on than Abu Bakr who had the exact same vision, comprehension, balance, perspective as the Prophet Sallallahu If his perspective always lined up with the Prophet Sallallahu then that's what gave this Ummah the ability to continue forward within that vision of the Prophet Sallallahu that's why Abu Bakr who never, never, ever, ever turns back on anything the Prophet said, right? Was stern on what the Prophet commanded even after he assumed the khilafa, Alright, the next part of this, which is which is where I really want to get to, which is the elevated standard. Setting a different standard for yourself. This is a man who's been guaranteed paradise on numerous occasions, but he keeps setting standards for himself. And he keeps beating his own goals The ultimate muhsin, the ultimate person of excellence, ihsan. Right, so we talked about al-muhsinun, those who just surpass people with the excellence of their deeds. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is the ultimate muhsin. Okay, two hadiths, in, two hadiths in this regard. One of them, Abu Hurair radiallahu anhu said, I heard the Messenger of Allah say, that whoever spends a pair of something in Allah's cause will be called from all of the gates of paradise. Whoever used to excel in prayer would be called from the gate of prayer in paradise. Whoever is from the people of jihad, the people of righteous struggle will be called from that gate. Whoever is from the people of sadaqah, of charity will be called from that gate. Whoever is from the people of fasting will be called from that gate of fasting, which is Babur Rayyan. The Prophet said, And whoever is called from all of those gates will need nothing more meaning you're you're set the reality is when you get to jannah do you really care which gate you get in through do you really care which gate you get into when you get to jannah any of you guys care which gate you get into all right i just want to get in okay side entrance front entrance if there's a back entrance you know, whatever, just let me in, right? You get into Jannah, you get into Jannah. It's the same Jannah when you get into it, right? There are degrees, but the doorway doesn't matter, right? Which gate you get into doesn't really matter. And when you get into Jannah, do you ever leave it? Does anyone go to paradise, and then you do something really, really bad in paradise and get kicked out? Do you do you get into Jannah and say, let me go check the other gate out? No, when you're in, you're not leaving. So what happened when the Prophet ﷺ, said this, Abu Bakr radiAllahu ta'ala anhu, he heard that and he said, هَلْ يُدْعَى منها كلها أحد? يا رسول الله. He says, is there any person that can possibly be called from all of the gates? Is there anyone that's going to arrive at Jannah and all the gates of paradise, the angels say, come this way, come this way, come this way, come this way? The Prophet ﷺ said, نَعَمْ arju أَن تَكُونَ مِنْهُمْ يَا aba بَكَرٌ Yes, and I pray that you will be one of them, Abu Bakr. You'll be that person, you show up on the day of judgment. We get to Jannah, الله, may Allah allow all of us to enter into paradise, and all of the gates of paradise are gonna say, Abu Bakr, this one, come through this gate, come through this gate, come through this gate. Now it was Abu Bakr Allah anhu like, yes, I got them all. Because the Prophet وسلم, if he prays for something, if he hope it's gonna happen, right? If the Prophet says that, he's not just saying that like, I'll make dua for you, right? You're pretty set. What did Abu Bakr do? He excelled in all of those actions. Every single one of those actions. Even the ones that weren't particularly that he wasn't particularly noteworthy for. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was not a very strong man, physically speaking, right? Very skinny, uh, very few hairs on his face. He, he you know he had a he had a bend in his waist that would cause sometimes his his pants to sag, his sirwal to sag. Abu Bakr anhu was not a huge man like Omar, right? But Ali said, you should have seen Abu Bakr in battle. He said, I saw him in front of the Prophet on the day of Badr, and he said, if anyone came near the Prophet Abu Bakr was like a ferocious lion. (laughs) Asat, complete lion, jumping in front of the Prophet would not let anyone near the Messenger of Allah Right, so even the things, you know, what does Abu Bakr have in battle, right? But but there's something about him where he excels in all of these things. And this is where the next hadith comes in, which is very practical for us to act upon. Uh, this hadith is narrated through multiple uh, chains. It's authentic that the Prophet وسلم, one day gathered his companions and said, asbaha من minkum مِنْكُمُ yawma sa'ima Who amongst you woke up today fasting? Who's fasting today? Now, the Prophet وسلم, is asking the companions to, to share who they are, right? So it's not like, you know, you want to hide your fasting right now. If the Prophet is asking who's fasting, you're going to raise your hand. Okay? So, who amongst you is fasting today? So, Abu Bakr, radiallahu anhu, hesitantly he said, Anna ya Rasulullah, I am ya Rasulullah. Bilal, radiallahu anhu, was also fasting that day. Okay? So, then the Prophet, Alaihi said, Faman ntabi'a minkum il janazah. Who amongst you followed a janazah today? So, he looked around, Abdullah ibn Amr. Followed a janazah that day. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, again, followed a janazah that day. He prayed the funeral prayer that day. So he went to the graveyard. Faman مِنْكُمُ The Prophet said, Who amongst you fed a poor person today? Abu Bakr looks around. <laughs> ya Rasulullah, I did. Okay, I fed a poor person today. And the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said, مِنْكُمُ Who amongst you went to visit a sick person today? Abu Bakr looks around. <laughs> ya Rasulullah, I did. Right? Now, the Prophet Sallallahu knows Abu Bakr is above everybody else, right? This was not like, it's not like tonight there's going to be a quiz, right? <laughs> this was just his average day, that he went to a janaza, was fasting, fed a poor person, and went to visit someone who was sick, on top of being the shadow of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi by the way, and everything else that Abu Bakr did, this, this was just who he was, right? And the Prophet Sallallahu was asking him to show himself here, not to not to put everyone down, but just to point to something out, to point something out here. And the Prophet said no one combines all of these traits in one day except that they will be able to enter Jannah from any direction that they want. This person, it's not like he gets called from every gate in Jannah just because. He does everything that would get him called into every gate in Jannah. He maintains a share of all of these things in his life and he leads in every category. And so this is what's important to know about Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He leads in every category that is shared with people and then he has specific virtues only for him. This is something I love that Ibn al-Jawzi said. Ibn al-Jawzi said the fada'il of Abu Bakr are khasas whereas the fada'il of the rest of the Sahaba are mushtarak. What does that mean? The fada'il, the virtues of Abu Bakr are Specific. They're only for him. There are things that he gets that no one else gets. He has virtues that belong only to him, exclusive. Whereas the virtues of the other companions are shared. Other people did those things too, but they excelled in some ways. Abu Bakr anhu just leads the pack in every single way. The Quran speaks to him and about him. About him, we mentioned Surah al-Layl last week. We mentioned when they were in the cave together, the Prophet was in the cave. Uh, with him. Uh, there's another ayah in Surah Al-Ahqaf where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, mentions um, it's either verse 15 or 16, top of the page uh, in Surah Al-Ahqaf where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions um, the person وَوَصَيْنَا الْإِنسَانَ بِوَالِدَهِ kurhan حَمَلَتْهُ أُمُّهُ كُرْهًا وَوَضَعَتْهُ كُرْهًا وَحَمْلُهُ وَفِصَالُهُ ثَلَاثُونَ شَهْرًا and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions after that a person who says to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala SubhanAllah, the verse is slipping my head. The verse is slipping my mind. Uh, but this is a person who calls out to Allah subhanahu wa taala. وحمله وفصاله ثلاثون حتى إذا بلغ أشده وبلغ أربعين سنة قال ربي أوزعني أن أشكر نعمتك التي أنعمت وعلى Allah mentions this person who reaches the age of thirty-three and then reaches the age of forty, uh, and then this person calls out to Allah. And they thank Allah for the blessing that he blessed them with and their entire family. Okay? This is the part that's revealed to Abu Bakr or about Abu Bakr. Ibn al-Jawzi says, Abu Bakr is the only person, the only person from the companions, who every single member of his family embraced Islam and became a companion of the Prophet His entire family... Parents, his mother became Muslim early on, his father, way later, right? After the conquest of Mecca Abu Quhafa. but eventually he became Muslim. Right? Spouse, kids, everyone became Muslim. And Abu Bakr anhu got to witness that. And that was a special gift for him, right? That every single person in his family became a Muslim in the time of the Prophet, meaning they witnessed, they, they, they became Sahaba as well. Alright? Except for, as we said, Abdurrahman ibn Abi Bakr, he took some time, right? And Abdurrahman ibn Abi Bakr is the last, the last one from the kids of Abu Bakr anhu to become Muslim. Abdurrahman ibn Abi Bakr, he, he wasn't hostile to Islam, but he was, he, he, he just wasn't pulled the way that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and the others were. So he actually, in the Battle of Badr, he was on the other side. He was on the other side. Abdurrahman became Muslim after the Battle of Badr, alright? And he comes to his father to tell his father, he says, you know, on the day of Badr, I was trying to make sure that you and I don't come face to face. This is a good father-son moment, right? Like, Dad, you know how much I love you. The battle of Badr, I was hiding. I saw you, I'd go the other direction. I tried to make sure I didn't come face to face. Abu Bakr says, that's interesting because I was looking for you. <laughs> I was looking for you. Because you're fighting the Prophet you're fighting against the Muslims, right? So it's like, you know, are, am I supposed to be happy about this, right? Alhamdulillah, he became Muslim, he became a companion, but that's just that moment, right? That abdurrahman was the last holdout, and he became Muslim as well. So that was a gift to Abu Bakr, that he got to see his parents, he got to see his kids, all of them. You know, the generation before him, the generation after him within his family, accept Islam, embrace it in the presence of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And there is one more ayah about him, which is very profound, because it's an ayah to him which is the verse about uh, about the slander of his daughter Aisha Aisha was slandered, Allah revealed the verses proclaiming her innocence. One of the people that slandered Aisha was Mistah. Mistah was the cousin of Abu Bakr. He was broke, he had no money, he was in poverty. And Abu Bakr used to give him charity every day. You imagine Abu Bakr would give him charity and while he's giving him charity, he goes and slanders his daughter. Gives a nightmare to the the Prophet gives a nightmare to, I mean this really embroiled, hurt the Prophet hurt the family of the Prophet hurt the community. Imagine how hurt Abu Bakr was when he realized that the person who, or one of the people who propagated that slander of his own daughter and the wife of the Prophet was his cousin who he was giving charity to. Who was unable to take care of himself otherwise. So when Abu Bakr heard that Mistah was one of them, Abu Bakr said, Wallahi, I'll never give him charity again. That's it. He didn't say, I'm going to go shake him up and say, give me back all that money over these years. I'm going to punish him. I'm going to go give him a piece of my mind. He just said, well, that's it for him. Why would I give charity to this man? Right? That was slandering my daughter. And Allah revealed, knowing the standard of Abu Bakr, not commanding him, but, وَالْيَعْفُ yasfahu." Why not forgive and pardon? أَلَا لَكُمْ Wouldn't you love that Allah forgives and pardons you? Why don't you forgive and pardon? Don't you want Allah to forgive and pardon you? Now by the way, side note, if the Prophet was fabric- fabricating the Qur'an, do you really think that that would have been slipped in there? <laughs> right? Like this is a man who slandered his wife and just put him through a lot of pain too, the Prophet And an ayah comes down, Directed to Abu Bakr, forgive him, pardon him. Don't hold it. Why? Not because you have to. Not because you're, you're gonna be punished if you don't. لَكُمْ Don't you want Allah to forgive you? Don't you want Allah to pardon you? Abu Bakr heard that from the Prophet ﷺ. His answer is beautiful. He didn't hesitate. He said, Bala uhib, bala uhib, uhib. Yes, I, I, I'd love that. I'd love that. I'd love that. Yes, I'd love to be forgiven. The same day that Misdah was to be lashed for slandering Aisha, he had his sadaqah from Abu Bakr, and Abu Bakr increased it. SubhanAllah, like he went back to giving him, every single day, his charity. So even Allah holds him to a different standard. And this was something that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu excels in. This is the Siddiq here, the commitment to the truth and the commitment to, to, to good. After becoming the Khalifa of the Prophet wasallam, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was known to milk the goats of the widows and the orphans. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu used to take care of al-armala wal-miskeen, wal yatim He used to go milk the goats of the widows and the orphans. And when he became khalifa, some of those elderly women, they they worried that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu would no longer milk their goats. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu from, never stopped. He didn't even take a day off from going, even after becoming Khalifa, and he would go out there and he would milk their goats and he'd do these simple things. And some people told Abu Bakr, Ya or Ya Abu Bakr, you don't have to do this anymore. It's okay, like this is beneath you now. You've got bigger things to worry about than milking these goats. And Abu Bakr radiAllahu anhu said, I would hate that the title Khalifa would change a good characteristic from me, such that it would be said that he used to do something good until he became the khalifa and he neglected that good. That doesn't make sense to me. If the Prophet ﷺ said the leader of a people is their servant, it doesn't make sense to me that when the title of khalifa is bestowed upon me I stop doing this simple thing. And this is where I want us to, inshallah ta'ala, segue because it's, it's really beautiful. Now I'm going to start off with a hadith you've heard a million times if you've attended a fundraiser. <laughs> Alright, which is Umar ibn al-Khattab Umar saying, "I want to compete with Abu Bakr." All right, but I'm gonna I'm gonna segue into that attitude for for a moment, Insha'Allah. Umar bin Khattab, radiAllahu anhu, he said that I woke up one day and I said, "I swear by Allah, today I'm gonna to outdo Abu Bakr in good." Like this is what was keeping him up at night. Like he always beats me. Anything I do, Abu Bakr does it better. Right, and I've got to get that layer. I've got to, I've got to outdo Abu Bakr today. So Umar said, I left with that mindset. My standard is Abu Bakr, right? So he said, I left with that mindset and the Prophet ﷺ commanded us to give sadaqah. Prophet ﷺ called for charity. Umar, Umar went, he got half of his wealth, 50% of it. Brought it to the Prophet ﷺ, gave him 50% and he said, You know, the Prophet ﷺ said to me, what did you leave for your family? He said, I left the same amount. The Prophet ﷺ said, Ahsant, you've excelled. Great job. Right, he praised that. Omar was so happy. He's like, I got it today. Abu Bakr shows up. Abu Bakr did not say, Oh yeah. Abu Bakr didn't even know what happened. He just heard that the Prophet Wasallam called for sadaqah. Abu Bakr radhiyallahu anhu brought a batch of money. The Prophet said, What did you ahlik? What did you leave for your family? Family? He said, I Left for them Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So the Prophet sallallahu smiled and he praised Abu Bakr radiAllahu ta'ala anhu. And Umar says qultu la usabiquka ila shay'in abada. He said I will never be able to beat you in any good. Like I'm I'm done. I tap out. I can't beat this man. He always outdoes me in khair. In good. Now I'm going to narrate to you a few narrations about what Omar saw from Abu Bakr because what I want you to realize is the trendsetter here, most of the good qualities you see in Omar's Khilafah, which was much longer, the caliphate of Omar was much longer than Abu Bakr, was something he actually learned from Abu Bakr. Okay. So this idea of charity and give it all for the sake of Allah, he got it from Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr outdid him. It kept him humble. Umar anhu says, when Abu Bakr became Khalifa, this is extremely beautiful, by the way. I want you to actually put yourself in Medina right now. Let's say Abu Bakr, you live there. Abu Bakr is the Khalifa. He leads the salah. He leads the prayer. He said every day after Fajr, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu would go in an opposite direction of his house and he would go deep into the desert. I was very curious. What does he do out there? So Umar radiallahu anhu said, I'd watch him every single day. Go to Salat al-Fajr and then Abu Bakr does not return home. He just walks far away into the desert. So he said, every day I'd wonder, إلى أين يخرج? Where does he go? Where does he go? Where does he go? He said, one day I said to myself, لأتبعنا. That's it. I'm going to go follow him and find out what he's doing. I just can't get over this curiosity of mine. So Umar radiallahu anhu said, I kept the pace from him to where he was at the end of my eyesight. Meaning I I walked just as far away to where I could still see him. And then he said, I saw him go into this beat up old house. So Umar said, I quickly went and I hid behind. And he said, he spent a long time in there. It wasn't like a short amount of time. He spent a long time until after the sun was up. Meaning it was getting hot. This is after Fajr, this is way past duha, way past sunrise. And it got hot and then Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, Left the home and he made his way back to Medina. He said, This was the out, this is way out of the city of Medina now. This isn't even the city of Medina right now. Way out of the city of Medina. So Umar radiallahu anhu said, I waited until I could no longer see him, meaning he made his way back to Medina. And Umar radiallahu anhu said, I knocked on the door. Okay? And he said, This woman opened the door. She was elderly, she was frail, she was blind. And there were a bunch of little kids running around, okay? So I said to her, "Assalamu alayki, ma ya amatullah? I said, peace be on to you. What is your situation, O servant of Allah? And she said that I'm a blind woman, and I have no one to take care of me, and I also have these orphans with me. You know, and the implication, Allahu A'lam, her kids died, left behind, these are her grandchildren, or these were orphans. Somehow, it's her, and it's some orphan children. And she says, I have no one to take care of me, and these orphans. Umar radiallahu anhu said, who is that visitor that comes to you every single day? The answer, she says, I don't know who he is. He never once shared his name with me. <laughs> He never bothered to tell me his name. Umar radiallahu anhu said, Well, what does he do? Qalat Jazahullah khair. She said, May Allah reward him. Every morning he comes. Listen, by the way, she details it. She says, He cleans my home. He washes our clothes. He grinds our wheat. He bakes our bread. He cooks our breakfast. And then he leaves. Subhanallah. Think about that. If this was the only narration we had about Abu Bakr, it's incredible. <laughs> Seriously. The leader, the head of the Ummah, the Khalifa, the most important man in the Ummah right now, with his station, with his status, and he goes out every morning to this house, and he doesn't even tell the woman what his name is. He's just, just consider me a secret khair, right? just some good doer. Washes the clothes, cleans the house, grinds the wheat, bakes the bread, cooks the breakfast, and then makes his way back, to govern the ummah. That is absolutely incredible. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu says every single day, <laughs> like is this really what he does every single day? She said every day may Allah bless him. Umar radiallahu anhu said do you pay him anything? She said nothing. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu started to cry and he said, أَتَعَبْتَ الْخُلَفَاءَ abadaka ya أَبَا You have exhausted every successor of yours, O oh Abu Bakr. You've exhausted us. Anyone that comes after you is exhausted. Because <laughs> this is a standard that is impossible for us to meet. A gem here, by the way, very important. Can you imagine how many deeds of Abu Bakr that history has never recorded? <laughs> all the you know the books of the Fada'il, the virtues of Abu Bakr, the things that he used to do, can you imagine how many of those secrets he actually managed to hide? And why did he not think of himself? Too good to still do that thing. Because that's a man who's Siddiq, he sets his own standards, he, he has his own terms. No one else sets terms for him and tells him, this is too little for you, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do that. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu has a standard of his own. And by the way, a lesson for all of us, if you're someone who does some khair that everyone knows about, you better have some khair that only Allah knows about, right? You better have some khair that only Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows about, and let it be an involved khair too, okay? An involved form of good, not just a secret charity, but this is something that, that has a spiritual reminder and effect on Him too, right? Going and visiting this elderly woman and her orphans every single day, and doing those things. One more narration from Umar because I want to drive home this point and then we'll call it a night insha'Allah. Because I want you to pay attention. Everything Umar would do in his khilafah, again he... Some lesson of it, there was some semblance of it that he learned from Abu Bakr who was a mentor to him, right? The standard after the Prophet Abu Bakr and Umar uh, were once uh, passing out charity. They received, Abu Bakr عنه, had received some form of ata which means that some form of charity came to the ummah, was donated and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was distributing and Umar was helping him distribute. So there was a Bedouin man that heard uh, the news. And so you can imagine that people would rush the masjid, right? And they'd rush particularly to try to get get a hold of it, make sure that they didn't lose out. So when they heard that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu had something and he was gonna distribute it, they charged, and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu shoved the man when he was coming to, to, to pounced on it basically, he shoved the man, just out of instinct. And Abu Bakr said, line up, line up, line up, everyone one by one, right? He tried to get the line straight. And while they were distributing, Umar radiallahu anhu just noticed, Abu Bakr was so bothered, so disturbed, until the man came forward, and Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu told him, اضربني, hit me the way that I hit you. He could not digest that he pushed the man. And he said, I want you to hit me the way that I pushed you. And Umar radiallahu anhu is watching this, and the man is shocked. He's like, Iqtad minni, go ahead, take your payback, take your revenge. Umar radiallahu tries, anhu tries to stop the situation. And listen to what he says to Abu Bakr. He says, Ya Abu Bakr, wallahi sunnah. He said, If you do this now, this is going to become the way forward. This is the sunnah. This is going to be the new standard for everybody else, right? When the leader transgresses, it's natural, right? I mean, he's trying to keep things straight, and he's, you know, he just, in a moment of, 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 of anguish, or in a moment of just the heat of the moment, he pushed the man a little bit, right? And he was justified, he's trying to get things settled. And Abu Bakr, radiallahu anhu, ignored Omar, and he said, hit me. The man is frozen, he's not doing anything. Omar, radiallahu anhu, says, "Yeah, Abu Bakr, why don't you compensate him instead? Give him extra money instead from yourself. Right, not, from, not an extra share from Al-Mal. Give him some extra charity if you want. And he'd be happier with that anyway, right? He's not gonna get anything out of hitting you. It's gonna set, it's going to make things hard for everybody else. Why don't you do that? Abu looks at him and he says, would that, would that be more pleasing to you? The man said, well actually yeah. <laughs> it would be more pleasing to him. So Abu Bakr compensated him instead. But think about now Umar, the sense of justice that Umar would have, right? He was observing a leader that would teach him how to lead as well. The last statement, dear brothers and sisters, is a statement of Imam Al-Muzani, rahimahullah ta'ala, which describes this entire phenomenon. He says, There There's some different um, uh, uh, terms, but this is the statement that's attributed to Imam Al-Muzani, which means, Abu Bakr did not did not outdo everybody else because of the amount of fasting and the amount of prayer that he did. He said, but it was something in his heart. waqara <laughs> fi There was something in the heart of Abu Bakr that just made him outdo everybody else. Okay? What was that? It was certainty in Allah's promise. And it was a desire to always do better. Right? He had this this inspiration, this constant source of motivation, this constant source of inspiration that was in his heart, that if he saw a good opportunity, he'd be the first to recognize it. And then he would commit himself wholly to it. He did not wait for others to blaze the trail for him. He was always the one doing it. right? And that's the greatest lesson you take from Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala Right? is that set your own standards. Don't let anybody else set your standards for you. You set your standards, and you be the one to set standards for everybody else too. The excellence of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu did not just inspire him, it inspired everyone around him. right? Including us to this day where we can look at that example and we can say, sometimes that's what it is. Sometimes it's not about how many rak'ahs of tarawih you prayed. Sometimes it's not about how much money you're able to put up in that fundraiser. Sometimes it's about that moment of Sidq with Allah, that moment of truthfulness with God, where you have a moment where you see a good and you do it. You don't wait for anybody else to claim that reward. You see something good and you rush to it. And you rush to it only seeking Allah's pleasure, not seeking anybody else's validation or approval. We ask Allah to be pleased with him and to join us with him and to grant us that same capacity, that same desire, that same longing for good in our lives. Allahumma Ameen. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research. Dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week to catch up on the first 11 episodes in this series and subscribe to this channel. If you like this episode, you'll love our other content. Visit yaqeeninstitute.org or download our app from the App Store. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.